the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. On AM 1420, The Answer. It is indeed the Bob France Authority. Good morning to you. Thank you so very much for getting up and starting your day with us at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. On this Monday, the 10th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Now, I know uh, very well that you may not have just gotten up to start with us. You probably got up and started your day with Hugh Hewitt. So thank you for sticking around with us. We've got a very, very big show for you today coming up in about 40 minutes. In fact, exactly 40 minutes at 948, we will hear from Congressman Jim Jordan on a host of matters, including testimony given before his committee he's of course the ranking member of the house judiciary committee testimony being given by a man who has absolutely nothing to do with the Mueller investigation with the investigation into russian uh, interference in our elections nothing to do with the trump administration nothing to do with the department of justice nothing to do with anything but still the democrats are going to call him to testify today former uh nixon associate and uh, watergate figure John Dean is going to come up to do something that we don't know. I, it's still trying to figure that out. But we're going to talk to Jim Jordan about that. Also, the president and tariffs, the tariff uh, threat against Mexico, uh, appears to have worked because they are now going to implement new uh, security measures on their southern border to stop migrants from coming in from Guatemala and the other uh, triangle countries down there and also beefing up security on their northern border, which, of course, is our southern border. All of this after the president threatened a 5% tariff, which would be taking uh, effect today. So we're going to talk to Congressman Jordan about that and much, much more. But I'm starting today with a local story. I'm starting today with with a story that you've probably heard me discussing. It's become very personal to me. I don't know why. I'm not a member of the family. I'm not a party in the lawsuit, but I will tell you it has become very personal to me because I have gotten to know 
the parties involved a little bit over the course of the last three years. And it should be personal to all of us because of the nature of the offenses committed against a family-owned business. And let me borrow a line from a friend of mine who put it on Facebook this way. I love the smell of Gibson's Donuts in the morning. Smells like victory. Yes, indeed. Gibson's Bakery, unfortunately located in the People's Republic of Oberlin, Ohio, is indeed victorious. Now, if you're online, you probably already know this. This all went down on Friday. Uh, If you're not online, allow me to share the information with you. This is simply spectacular news. A little reminder of the story. Back on November 9th of 2016, now why should that date be familiar to you? That date should come, uh, you know, should should come uh, back to you in terms of your powers of recollection. If you think about it, November 2016, November 9th specifically. Yeah, that's the day after the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, won the presidency. He won it on November 8th, and you remember, right? You do recall how outraged and how how just sad and pathetically disappointed. The American left was. How could Hillary Clinton, honestly, how could Hillary Clinton lose to that guy, that racist, that bigot, that homophobe, that this, that, and the other thing, every name in the book that they called him? No way, Donald Trump. Remember Rachel Maddow? So this, this, this is happening. <laughs> and the tears and the screaming faces and the crying faces of the, the American left. Well, that wasn't limited to you know various televised um, election centers or victory centers and so on and so forth from uh, uh, from uh, Tuesday night, November eighth, twenty sixteen. It extended all over the country in liberal havens like the People's Republic of Oberlin. Well, the students there were apparently so on edge and so angry on November ninth that while well, by God they couldn't be responsible for their own actions. So what happened was. A couple of them, three of them to be precise, Oberlin College students, decided to go shoplifting, I mean shopping, at the local bakery. Now, Gibson's Bakery has been an institution, and by the way, if you know this already, please bear with me. We have new audience members, new listeners all the time who who don't know what we're talking about, so I'm going to go ahead and tell this story uh, uh, in, in some detail. And if you've already heard it, like I said, if you already know this, just bear with me, okay? And uh, show a little respect for those who don't know the story. So three Oberlin students decide to go shoplifting. I mean, shopping again at uh, Gibson's Bakery, which is an institution in Oberlin. They have been there for over 150 years. Family-owned Gibson's Bakery and candies and so on and so forth. They have amazing pastries and, like I said, candies and drinks and so on and so forth. It's also a convenience store. So you can go in and buy just a little bit of everything. And it's been it's been uh, uh, patronized by Oberlin college, college students for just about as long as it's been open and as long as the college has been open. No, no problem there. So these three students decided to go to Gibson's to get some things. Problem is, with things they wanted to get, number one, they're not allowed to buy. Number two, they're not allowed to steal. They're trying to buy wine, yet they were under 21. So they tried to steal some wine and then pay for one bottle of the wine with a fake ID. Well, so they bring the, well, the one individual anyway. Happens to be a black student. Shouldn't matter to this story, but does. 
He has two bottles of wine underneath his jacket. The clerk sees it. His name happens to be Alan Gibson, who is the grandson of the now patriarch of Gibson's uh, uh, bakery, Alan Gibson Sr., and the son of David Gibson, the current Gibson, who is uh, owning and running the store. But Alan Gibson, uh, the younger, um, is the clerk there, sees the two bottles of wine. He saw him put them under his jacket. Then he tries to pay for a bottle of wine with a fake ID. He starts calling police. Tells him, don't don't move, stay right there. Well, the individual, and he tried to take a picture of him, by the way, tried to p- take a picture of the shoplifting student. At the same time, holds the camera phone up, and uh, the student smacks the phone out of, his, out of Alan Gibson's hand, hits him in the face with it, leaving a mark, and then runs out of the store. Alan Gibson pursues, confronts him outside, tells him to stay there, tries to tell him to stay put while the police are on the way. This is going to go better for you than robbing and running. At any rate, that wasn't acceptable. So the shoplifter hits Alan Gibson, knocks him to the ground, at which point the two other colleagues, two female colleagues who were with him uh, in this little shoplifting adventure, all three of them are hitting and kicking him on the ground right outside Gibson's as the police roll up. Naturally, arrests are made. Arrests are made for the shoplifting, and yes, for the assault as well. While this is unacceptable to the angry, liberal, social justice warrior students at Oberlin who are already on edge because Donald Trump just won the election the night before. They're already seeing their futures is just gone, napalmed, because Donald Trump won the election. So in their anger and in their rage over that and the idea that this local business would actually arrest somebody for doing something that everybody at Oberlin has been doing for years, which is stealing from Gibsons. They have to. They they they've got an enemy now. They're going to get Gibsons. So they organize, along with some faculty members, apparently including the dean of students, Marilyn Raimondo or Meredith rather Raimondo. And they decide they're going to go out and protest Gibsons, declaring that Gibsons should not have had these three people arrested, never should have called the cops, and they only did so because, drum roll please, because they racially profiled these three African-American students. And since Gibsons wouldn't drop the charges... The students went all out, protested, declared publicly by way of flyers that were passed out from Oberlin College, from Oberlin College facilities, um, declaring that Gibson's Bakery is a racist organization with a long history of racial profiling. And, of course, none of it was true. They tried to shut down the business. Oberlin College canceled their longstanding pastry order for their dining halls, which they used to get from Gibson's. Um... Fast forward now, three years later, Gibson's, which had lost a lot of money in business due to these protests, many of us tried to step up and fight for them. I was first made aware of the situation by a friend, Chris Gorin, in, uh, in Wellington, who said, Bob, you got to see what's going on out there in Oberlin. I said, what? She told me. I went out there to see firsthand, drove out to, to Gibson's firsthand. Cruz directing the entire affair is how I would best describe it, and it's what I would have said had I been called as a witness because I saw it. 
I confronted some of the Oberlin College students, peacefully, of course, asking what they're doing here and why, and uh, why they believe this, 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 and this, and just essentially listening to their nonsensical social justice warrior remarks and deconstructing them point by point until Ms. Raimondo noticed what was happening and came over and pulled them away, declaring, you don't need to talk to him, you don't need to talk to him, get over here, get over here, and just told them to hold up their signs over there, which they were holding up signs that said Gibson's racist and so on and so forth. So... um D-Day came on Friday. D-Day came on Friday. And on Friday, it was a time of celebration. It was a time for justice to be done. It was a time, believe it or not, when we found out that our legal system does work. Sometimes, the civil trial of Gibson's Bakery against Oberlin College resulted in an $11.2 million judgment over three charges that were that were filed, or three um, uh, uh, charges in the lawsuit, eleven point two million dollars against the college, against Meredith Raimondo particularly, and we're not even done because according to Ohio law, in a case like this, they couldn't do the punitive damages in the same trial with the same presentation. So a new hearing has to be held tomorrow, at which time. The jury will consider new facts presented by the plaintiffs, Gibson's Bakery, leading to um, uh, an explanation or a, or how do you want to say that, a display of or a presentation of the animus and the intent of the college, which uh, would lead to punitive damages that could be, according to the, the uh, terms of the trial and the lawsuit, tripling of the $11.2 million judgment, they could end up with up to $33 million in punitive damages when this thing is done tomorrow. So, my friends, I bring this to you with the most joyous of, of feelings, the, the feelings of relief, the feelings of satisfaction, the feelings that God was watching, God was, was looking out for. And, and I, listen, I'm not overstating this either. I am so excited about the victory of this wonderful family of decent people who have been slandered, libeled, uh, protested, uh, had their characters assassinated. This, this generations deep family business taking action against this monstrosity in the city of Oberlin anyway. It's not a huge college in terms, you know, like compared to Ohio State, but it's huge in terms of its presence and its sway that it holds in Oberlin, Ohio. I cannot tell you how excited I am for them and for this. This is justice that oftentimes isn't done. And when I say God played a role, I went online on social media and I asked people on Facebook, on Twitter, and on the new social media platform that conservatives are flocking to, like me, called Parler. And you should do that too, P-A-R-L-E-R. And I asked everybody to say a prayer, to God, asking him, not for victory, per se, that's not how this works, but to bring wisdom and courage to the jurors as they consider the situation, and and ask that, through that wisdom, that the jurors are able to, on their own, because God doesn't manipulate the outcomes, God just sets the parameters and lets free will take place, but uh, to give those jurors the wisdom to, on their own, come to a finding for Gibson's Bakery. And I don't know how many people I reach. I have thousands of people that I can reach on Twitter and on Facebook and on Parler, all totaled, 
Not to mention, of course, here on the air. But I don't know how many of them said prayers to God. But the wisdom did find its way to those jurors. The courage found its way to those jurors. And they came forward with justice for Gibson's Bakery. And I can only hope that that same wisdom is is evident and apparent and guiding them in their decision-making tomorrow when the punitive damages against this uh, this reprehensible indoctrination center masquerading as an institution of higher learning. The People's Republic of Oberlin College. A $33 million judgment won't be enough to rename it the University of Gibson's, but I sure hope they that it could be and that it would be. Uh, but uh, just want to bring the good news to you, sharing the good news on a Monday morning. We have a lot of news that isn't so positive to talk about today, but for for a moment anyway, and for this past Friday, as we all waited with bated breath on the announcement of that verdict, justice has prevailed, my friends. 216-901-0945, You want to get up and on the radio, do it now. The Bob France Authority, right back after this. France Authority Podcast. All right, 927 out of Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Since we're talking about court cases, let me remind you what happened on Friday. We told you the story of Baronel Stutzman, the owner of Arlene's Flowers. You may have heard this, right? Washington State Supreme Court last week ruled against Baronel Stutzman, uh, saying that she discriminated against a gay man for not selling him a floral arrangement created by her own artistry for his wedding despite the fact that she had sold him flowers many, many times and, in fact, considered him a good friend and one of her favorite customers. Clearly not anti-gay in any way. However, she's a Christian. She has a relationship with Jesus Christ, and she told him, sadly, that on religious grounds, she can't provide him for uh, with flowers or an arrangement for his uh, marriage ceremony because in her religion, in our religion, in the Christian faith, marriage is between a man one man and one woman. She even offered to give him a number of other, uh, uh, in fact did, provide him with a number of other florists who would do a great job for his ceremony, and everything seemed to be fine. The problem is, the attorney general in the state of Washington decided when he saw the story on social media that this can't happen, this isn't allowed, she discriminated against him, she must be punished. Well, for the last three years, there have been lawsuits and legal battles and the attorneys representing Baronel Stutzman and Arlene's Flowers are the attorneys from Alliance Defending Freedom. They fought her fight all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Once already, the U.S. Supreme Court having decided in favor of Masterpiece Cake Shop in a similar case from Colorado, kicked it back to the Washington State Supreme Court and said, you know, you probably shouldn't let this get to us. We've already ruled on this. You need to take care of this on the state level. The state... Supreme Court once again refused to do the right thing and is now going to have to appeal this back to the U.S. Supreme Court again. Guess what this is? This is Baronel Stutzman standing up for herself and for all of us, as she explains here. It's about everyone's freedom to live their belief without fear of government punishment. If the government can tell you what events you must celebrate and take all you own if you decline to violate your faith, then we don't live in a free America. Wherever you stand on this issue of same-sex marriage, 
we can all agree to stand for our freedoms. That's right. It's about freedom. That's exactly what it is. The Alliance Defending Freedom is defending Baronell and so many others free of charge in all of these cases to defend religious liberty and our constitutionally protected freedoms. And guess what? We are helping Alliance Defending Freedom as they help us. So here's what we need. If you want to help Baronell, and if you want to help the attorneys that represent her and so many others in cases like this, we need you to donate to Alliance Defending Freedom and their Freedom Fund. Now, we've been doing this uh, since the month of June started. We started out with a goal of needing 45 individuals to donate $100 each. You have been phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. We are down now to 27. We have 27 more that we need. Will you be the next one to step up and give $100 tax deductible to Alliance Defending Freedom? Please call 800-691-8969 with your donation. If you are fortunate enough to be able to spend 200 or 300 tax deductible dollars on this, please donate that amount. If you can't quite reach 100 but you have 50 that you can give, this is for all of us by way of the Alliance Defending Freedom Freedom Fund. Call 800-691-8969 or go to whkradio.com and there's a banner ad at the top of the homepage. It says Alliance Defending Freedom. You click that, it'll take you right to the donation page. We need 27 more $100 donations to reach our goal to help protect the freedoms of, of Baronel Stutzman and all of us. They came for Baronel, they came for Jack Phillips at Masterpiece Cake Shop. They're coming for hundreds and thousands of others. Maybe they're coming for you next. Please call 1-800-691-8969 with a donation or donate at whkradio.com and the uh, Alliance Defending Freedom banner ad at the top of the page. It's 930. 9.36, the Bob Brands Authority continuing now at AM 1420. The answer. want to welcome to our program now Curtis Ellis, a gentleman that you may recall Rob Frost and I discussing last week. Curtis Ellis is a senior Trump advisor, and he is in town. Well, specifically, he's in Strongsville for a very important event today to talk about trade and tariffs and their impact on Cleveland jobs, Cleveland workers. Mr. Ellis, good to have you here on AM 1420. The answer. Welcome to Northeast Ohio. How, how are you, sir? I'm great. Nice to be here. I love Ohio. was here last in Cleveland for a very famous convention. <laughs> yeah, that worked history. out pretty well, didn't it? Yeah, you know, you know, Hugh Hewitt has Hugh Hewitt has been saying this ever since then. You know, why mess with a good thing? It worked in 2016. Why didn't we have the uh, the Republican convention coming up in 2020 in Cleveland again? I know we're not, but uh, but why mess with a good know, thing if it isn't broken, I right? Oh, come on! <laughs> this is great. It Cleveland's fabulous. Well, one of my first jobs in radio, I worked for Gary D, the famous. Cleveland radio personality. I'm dating myself, but let's move well, on. <laughs> no, you're not actually. That is because I remember Gary D as well, and uh, uh, and and uh, WHK Radio as well. So guess what? Uh, you're you're in you're in familiar territory right now. So that's fantastic. Although Wonderful. I would never, although I would never compare myself to the legend that is Gary D. But you are in the same place. Um, He's a great uh, human being. He was indeed. Curtis, uh, let's talk about tariffs now. Um, and I know, you know, what you're going to talk about tonight is largely involving the uh, tariffs against China and the quote-unquote trade war that we are involved mm-hmm. in right now with them in an attempt to try to level the playing field uh, when it comes to um, how much we send out versus how much we take in. And But i got to ask you about the Mexican tariffs first, only because sure. of what just happened over the weekend. Obviously, the president has been discussing and threatening to start out with only a 5% tariff on Mexican goods, which would have taken 
taking effect today. But he tweeted uh, right before the weekend got started. It was either on Friday or Saturday. I'm, I'm failing to recall that specifically. But he said, hey, good news. No tariffs because we've reached an agreement. Mexico is going to um, beef up their security by thousands on their own southern border. They're going to beef up security on their northern border, which is our southern border, and really try to help stop the flow. So no tariffs for now. Um, we are call, I'm calling this a victory for the Trump administration and for the president personally, but the left is trying to rain on that, saying, well, these were previously agreed upon measures anyway. There's no victory here. What say you? I say it's more fake news from the left-wing media. Uh, the, this is a huge victory. This is a tremendous victory, and it was a, a move of strategic brilliance on the president's part to threaten to put these tariffs on Mexico. We finally got their attention. He got their attention. Uh, perhaps there was some talk. There, uh, we don't know. I can't. Unfortunately, the New York Times has destroyed whatever credibility it had. You can't believe a word they write. And you have unnamed sources saying uh, these uh, terms were negotiated back in March. Yeah, well, guess what? They weren't implemented. <laughs> what did it take to get Mexico to finally move? It took the threat of tariffs aimed right at the uh, economic elite that rule and profit off of Mexico. It, you have to look at the fact that they have a left-wing populist president, this guy called AMLO. That's his, that's his nickname for all of his, uh, all of his initials. AMLO agreed to what President Trump is talking about, to enforcing their southern border and to accepting all of these asylum seekers have to stay in Mexico before they can come to the United States and claim asylum. Why did he do that? Because he knows that the people of Mexico will not be hurt by the tariffs, but the elite, the economic elite, the rich, there's like five families in Mexico that benefit from all of this trade with the United States. They were howling, and they said to the president of Mexico, make the deal, make the deal, because we can't the pain, and we're not going to put up with it. So, uh, now, now Curtis, if I may, if I may, there was some howling on our side of the border too. Some claiming, you know, consumer advocates mostly claiming, you know, what if we go through with this, it's going to increase the prices of goods that we get from down there on on middle class Americans, and middle class Americans cannot afford that. So apparently, they were willing to sacrifice, I don't know, national sovereignty, and to allow the invasion <laughs> by the thousands and thousands to continue all over the uh, short term, you know, potential short term price increase. Yeah, I don't know if anybody caught uh, CNBC this morning. It was pretty pretty wild uh, moment there. You had the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which is uh, the U.S. Uh, Chamber of Horrors or the multinational Chamber of Commerce. One of those characters is on basically saying the president should not have used tariffs against Mexico. He shouldn't use tariffs against China. Tariffs, bad, bad, bad. Just what you said, this whole thing about consumers, that, that's all a bunch of bunk. These people only care about the profits for the multinational corporations. They don't care about this country. Are we going to sacrifice our sovereignty? Because uh, that's what happens when you don't have a border and you have millions of people coming in from uh, all over the world, no, no controls whatsoever. You don't have a country anymore. Are we going to sacrifice our way of life and our, econo- and our entire economy to the totalitarian regime in China? Because that's what happens if you don't put tariffs on that. These companies... And these people who are complaining now, they're using consumers as a human shield because it's not about consumers. It's about the profit of global corporations. They move to these countries 
so they can get cheap labor and make more profit because they make everything cheaper because they're only paying a buck an hour or a buck a day right. to their workers instead of paying decent American wages like the people in Ohio and the Midwest are, are accustomed to making. And then they sell at the same price they used to sell the goods when they were paying $17 an hour or $35 an hour. And so they're not concerned about consumer prices. They're concerned about shareholder profit. And, and you know, I talked to a guy who works with a shovel, makes a living with his back in a shovel, and he said, I don't care how cheap those boots are. If I don't have a job, I can't afford them. we got to be well, talking about raising the incomes and raising the quality of life of Americans. And then they can afford to send their kids to school. They can afford to pay the taxes so you have a decent school. Right now, we're in a position where you can't do any of that. That's where we were going. Yeah, that's uh, Curtis Ellis is our guest. Curtis is a senior policy advisor with America First Policies, which is a pro-Trump super PAC, and he was a personal advisor, senior policy advisor to the president in his 2016 successful campaign. He's in town. He's going to be in Strongsville tonight at the Strongsville Senior Center at 7 p.m. Uh, for a very special event on tariffs, on trade, on the USMC, the United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement. In fact, let's go there uh, uh, for for a moment, if we could, Curtis. Um, talk talk about the impact of potential tariffs on Mexico. Let's suppose for a second the Mexican government reneges, and they do not uh, follow through with the promises they just made the president in order for the president not to institute this tariff. Uh, if the president has to go back and institute this now, and even just the discussion, how does this impact the con- potential congressional approval of the USMC, and then, of course, we have to bring in the China aspect of this as well. Sure, sure. Well, I see these, as, and, and the Mexican government sees these as well, as two separate issues. The, the issue with immigration, this latest uh, kerfuffle over tariffs with Mexico, was an immigration issue, enforcing our border, Mexico enforcing its border. And the, the USMCA, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement, is far too important to Mexico. They need that. They need that agreement. They need to give the businesses operating in Mexico the long-term certainty to stay located in Mexico and not move back to the United States or move someplace else. So they're not going to mess with that deal over this temporary situation of a migration surge through Mexico. And now if the Democrats in Congress want to play games with this, it's to their detriment. I, I, I warn them, do not play games with this. It's not going to help you out. The U.S.-Mexico agreement is a good deal for America. It's a good deal for American workers. For the first time in history, there is a minimum wage built into a trade agreement. It says that the people making automobiles have to be earning $16 an hour in order for the the automobiles being made to qualify for NAFTA mm-hmm. treatment, to qualify for tariff treatment. It says 75% of the automobiles and the parts in the automobiles have to come from United States, Mexico, or Canada. Right now, up to 40% of that car could be made in China. 
and it still That's comes into so, the United yeah, that, States. That is so very free. important to, to, to American workers and obviously to the cost of those vehicles as well for the American consumers. Uh, Curtis, yeah. we just barely scratched the surface of this between the tariffs and the trade war with China, obviously the trade situation now with the USMC and specifically with our New Deal as it pertains to immigration uh, and asylum seekers coming through Mexico. Uh, all of that is going to be covered tonight by Curtis Ellis. Go and see his Seven speech. You have to... Seven o'clock. You have to register at the website, Cuyahoga County GOP.com. Cuyahoga County GOP.com. But the event is free. Yeah, you just have to register, though. Seven o'clock at the Strongsville Senior Center. Curtis Ellis, President Trump's 2016 Senior Policy Advisor, will be here. Uh, Curtis, thanks so much for coming on with us. I wish we had more time, but I know you're going to have a great presentation tonight. Yeah, come on down. Be there, be square. Your fearless chosen leader will be there. I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Curtis. Appreciate it. It's 946. We'll get a time out here. Congressman Jim Jordan is coming on next on AM 1420, The Answer. It's the Bob France Authority. All right, 950 now. The Bob France Authority continues. Thanks again to Curtis Ellis, Senior uh, Policy Advisor to the Trump campaign and now to the administration. He's in town today. Uh, welcome to Congressman Jim Jordan, back for his regular Monday visit on AM 1420. The answer. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm fine, Bob. It's a good day. Uh, it is a good day. It's a great day in many, many, many ways. I'm going to ask you about many yep. of them. Uh, but I want to start with the way I started my show today because um, I was off the air on Friday before this happened. It happened uh, in the afternoon on Friday. What a fantastic day it was. You recall about two years ago when I summoned, well, I summoned you. I asked if you would come down and, and visit yep. with the good people at Gibson's Bakery. And you were kind mm-hmm. enough to come down there and, and listen to their story to see if there was anything that uh, you might be able to do to, do to assist them. Well, the legal system assisted them. Uh, three years yep. after they were libeled and slandered and protested and attacked and so on and so forth by uh, the People's Republic of Oberlin College, they were successful. An $11.2 million judgment for Gibsons that could be up to $33 million when the punitive hearing is held tomorrow. Congressman, victory is sweet. It is, and, and you said uh, good people, and that's exactly right. And I do appreciate when you invited me out there and we went out and met the Gibson. Um, Alan, his family, uh, I think this is, I forget, three, four generations that this. this there were four generations in the courtroom yep. alone. They were four generations. There was yep. Alan and then his son yep. David and then his sons, uh, Alan, and uh, the youngest is 11 years old, whose name I can't remember. But literally four generations of Gibsons were in that courtroom well, celebrating that victory. Fantastic. And it, was a, and it was a victory for truth, a victory for common sense, a victory for freedom. And, um, I'm like you. It's good to see that the, 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 this jury made up of, of good people in Lorain County saw the truth and awarded the Gibsons, uh, this, uh, this award, uh, which, is, uh, which was deserved for the three and a half, two and a half, three years that they had to go, uh, uh the craziness that they had to go through. Yeah, no question about it. I was just so happy to see sometimes the justice system actually does work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so good, good on those jurors for seeing the truth. And hopefully Oberlin will learn yep. a lesson from this and maybe other colleges as well that you just cannot go around slandering and libeling and, and hurting people because of, uh, of your own personal social and, justice. And, thank the Gibson, and I'm going to thank the Gibsons for having the, it's, it's, it's easier sometimes just like, okay, we'll live with this. We'll move on. Now they were, they were, you know, suffering a financial loss. I mean, they had to lay off people and everything else at their at their at their bakery and store there. But they were willing to say, "No, we're going to push it because we want the truth to come out. We want we know we were right. We were not wrong in this, and we want the truth to come out." And they went to court and they actually won. And so I, I give them the credit for actually 
for waging the fight and waging the battle so that, that this, uh, this, this, this victory could actually happen. I second that, Congressman. Very, very well said. Let's get to business today on Capitol Hill. I'm, I'm still trying to figure this out. Um, you're the ranking member of the Oversight Committee, or excuse me, of the uh, Judiciary Committee uh, uh, in the House, and today you're going to hear from somebody named John Dean. Now, people who know a little bit about uh, political history know John Dean from Watergate and know from the Nixon administration, but to my knowledge, he has absolutely zero to do with the investigation into Russian interference with our elections, into the uh, yeah. uh, Mueller, uh, Mueller team investigating uh, whether or not the Trump campaign was a part of this. How and why is it that Jerry Nadler, uh, the uh, comedian uh, of this uh, committee, uh, I won't call him a chairman, is more of a comedian because this is comical. Why is John Dean going to be yeah. there testifying today, Congressman? A guy, a guy with no firsthand knowledge who testified 45 years ago who went to prison for obstruction of justice, is being brought in today in front of the House Judiciary Committee <laughs> to do what? Talk about obstruction of justice. I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up, but you're, you're exactly right. That's what's happening today at 2 o'clock. I'll be there. I'll have questions for, the, for Mr. Dean and some of the other witnesses. But um, you're right. This makes no sense. It seems to me like this is impeachment without calling it impeachment. They're, they've already started they want to do it, but they don't. They don't. They don't want to actually take the vote, move ahead with an impeachment inquiry. They don't want to do it because deep down, I think even Jerry Nadler and all these people understand there's no basis for it, and they know the American people don't want it. So um, they do hearings like this where they bring in a guy who 45 years ago pled guilty to obstruction of justice, and they're bringing him in today as the quote expert on obstruction of justice. He has, um, to my knowledge, uh, and I read a little bit about John Dean's past, he has declared virtually every Republican president since Nixon to have committed crimes that were worse than Watergate. Uh, so Donald, yeah. Donald Trump is not in you know rare company here. Basically, if you're a Republican president, John Dean is coming for you with some store, sort of ridiculous public statement that what you're doing is worse than Watergate. And again, this is a guy with exactly zero credibility. Yeah, no, yeah, I read, I read that same report, uh, and, and saw that where it's just been time after time he is, he's accused Republican presidents of that. So we'll see how this goes, but, but, but understand they are so focused on getting the president, the Democrats. We had 144,000 people apprehensions on the border last month alone. Highest, highest in like 11 years that, that we've, that we've ever had on the border. And the Democrats refuse to call the crisis, refuse to help us because they're so focused on going after the president, so focused on going after the president. They have these memorandums of understanding, actual contracts between the respective chairman on the key committees here in the House that says, here's how we're going to do it. You're going to do A, I'm going to do B, you're going to do C, I'm going to do C. And they have a coordinated effort to go after the president. Meanwhile, we've got a crisis on the southern border they don't want to do anything about. And, and, and that's the problem. With, that's the problem I think the American people see, but that's not going to slow them down. What are they going to do instead of dealing with the crisis? They're going to bring in John Dean to testify in front of Congress today. And the other thing they're going to do later this week, apparently, is they're going to vote to hold uh, the Attorney General of the United States in contempt of Congress, as well as the president's uh, one of the president's personal attorneys, Don McGahn. They're going to hold them in contempt for for refusing to come and and testify and answer uh, questions, not of congressional members and committee members, but of their lawyers, yep. at least in Mr. Barr's case. Uh, and, and this is again, this is just another circus sideshow. Uh, this this contempt of uh, of these two individuals. Don McGahn testified for 30 hours. The president's White House lawyer testified for 30 hours in front of the special counsel. Oh, but we're going to hold him in contempt. Bill Barr is following the law. He's not allowed to give grand jury material. He just can't hand that stuff out. 
Bill Barr is following the law, and, and the, 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 the House Judiciary Committee has already held him in contempt. Now that the full House of Representatives are going to move, move for that uh, later this week. So uh, you do your job. You do things right. What's your reward from Democrats? They hold you in contempt. And, it, it, again, I think the American people see through this. Well, the, the American people want results. How about the results the president got this past week? He said, hey, Mexico, if you don't start doing what you're supposed to be doing, if you don't start helping us deal with this problem on our southern border, which is namely deal with your southern border so all these people don't come across your country from Honduras and Guatemala into our country, we're going to put tariffs on you. Now, no one likes tariffs. We don't want a world where there's a bunch of tariffs. But the president understands sometimes you have to threaten and, and, and you may have to do something in order to get the right kind of behavior. And guess what? Mexico found the, saw the light, and they're going to do the right thing. So th- that's the kind of action the American people expect versus you know what they're seeing from Democrats and, and their planned attack on the president. Do you think that Mexico will comply and follow through on this? I, I you know, we'll see. But I, but I got to tell you, I kind of think they will. I really do, because one thing I think some of these these foreign heads of state understand is that the president means business. He means business, and and when when he look, think about this, every single presidential candidate that I can remember for I don't know how many cycles has said, if they get elected, if you make me the president of the United States. I guarantee you I will put the embassy in Jerusalem. And every single one of them, when they got elected, say, oh, you know what? I got a bunch of reasons why I can't do what I said I was going to do. But this president, he did it. So I think that sent a mess. This president said, if, I get, if I'm president, we're going to get that crazy Iran deal. We got out of the Iran deal. This president, this president got the hostages home from North Korea. So I think the American people appreciate someone who says something and when elected does what they said they would do. So I, I actually think Mexico is going to follow through because they understand this president means this. Yeah, I, I hope that's the case. It's just that, that Obrador said literally a week before this deal was struck, or maybe even just a few days before the week was struck, he was declaring that it is a right for asylum seekers to come to the United States, that the United States was made for this. We are made to accept anybody who wants to come to this country. He was telling us what rights we are supposed to grant to foreign citizens. Uh, and, and yeah. so, you know, he, you know, he essentially, I'm just hopeful that he isn't promising the president something he won't deliver, only to head off these tariffs for a little while. Well, but remember, the, the moment the president said, we're going to put the, the tariff on unless you deal with it, it was like, shazam, we've got, we got a delegation coming tomorrow, Mr. President. We'll have folks from our country there to talk with your folks, to talk to Secretary Pompeo's team and everything else. We're, so they saw the light right away. And um, so we'll see. But I, I feel actually pretty, pretty good about it. Uh, we'll see how it all uh, shakes out here in the next few days. I certainly hope so. Uh, good luck uh, with uh, Mr. Dean today. Uh, I'm very interested to see what questions you come up with and some of your colleagues come up with for this guy who has absolutely no material knowledge whatsoever of anything having to do with the Russia situation or the Mueller report, but uh, yet here he comes anyway. So uh, best of luck with that today, sir, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Bob, Bob, thank, Bob thank you, and thank you for the role you played in, in, with, the, with the Gibson Bakery there. I, I, oh. you, you, were, you were a lead on this, and that was helpful. Uh, early on, I, and I know they appreciate it, and good folks around the country who know how this thing played out appreciate it as well. I appreciate you saying that. Thanks very much, sir. Have a great day. You bet. Congressman Jim Jordan on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll talk more about that, the Gibson story, and uh, the rest of the day's hot news in hour number two. Guest-free, by the way, so you can dial in now, 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110 right here. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.